Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to uh, Fellowship Bible Church. Glad you are here. Uh, a few weeks ago, I began reading a book uh, by Louis Massur entitled Lincoln's Last Speech, uh, a whole book dedicated to the final speech that Abraham Lincoln gave. Um, April 9th, uh, 1865, uh, Robert E. Lee surrendered to Grant down at Appomattox. Uh, the Civil War, the Great War was over. Uh, two days later, April 11th, uh, Washington, D.C. was uh, in a celebratory mode. Um, that evening, uh, bonfires were lit all over the city. There was uh, grand celebrations. Fireworks were whistling in the sky. And about 8 o'clock that evening, Abraham Lincoln appeared uh, in a second-story window of the White House, uh, the North Portico. Thousands of people had gathered to hear him, they thought, revel in the death of the Confederacy. And instead, he talked about reuniting. He talked about reconstruction. Two men were towards the front of the crowd listening and listening with great disgust. One was Lewis Powell. The other one was John Wilkes Booth. They eventually turned and walked through the crowd, and Booth said to Lewis Powell, that will be the last speech he will ever give. And indeed it was. Lincoln's last speech. Three days later, of course, John Wilkes Booth assassinated President Abraham Lincoln, fulfilling his, his own prophetic word. The last speech of Lincoln. Uh, many who heard it were enthralled. Others hated it. And for over the last 150 years, many others have analyzed it and uh, been mystified over his final speech. Last words are lasting words, are they not? Now think back a couple thousand years to a Roman prison cell, to a, an aged man who in a damp and dimly lit cell is waiting his execution. It's the Apostle Paul. And he picks up a quill and he begins to, to push it over a parchment to give his final speech, his final words, his last words written to his young son in the faith, Timothy. It's recorded for us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I invite you to take your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4, this is from the, I read from the New American Standard Version, and Paul writes, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Serious words from the Apostle Paul, his last speech. 
Notice how with, with great solemnity he begins, I solemnly charge you. Great passion, great emotion. You know, Don Den Hartog completed last week a six-week study of the Olivet Discourse as we focused on Christ's return and the idea of his coming kingdom. Uh, prior to that, John Morrison preached a couple of sermons on the, the topic of God's judgments, the judgment of God, a very real concept found throughout the Scripture. And then prior to that, we were in a year-and-a-half-long study of the book of Isaiah, and one of the themes over and over again in that book of Isaiah is that God's plan is to consummate this world, this age, with the return of His Messiah, the servant of the Lord will come, and he will set up a kingdom of righteousness, of justice, of shalom, of peace that will be pervasive throughout this earth. His kingdom will reign forever and ever. In Paul's final charge to his young son in the faith, he appeals to these eschatological truths. He solemnly charges in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ who is to judge the living and the dead, the judgment of God, and by his appearing and his kingdom, the Olivet Discourse. It's as if, if the Apostle Paul were here today, he'd stand up and said, okay, you've heard the teaching of the Olivet Discourse. It's real. You've heard the, the teaching on the judgments of God. It's real. You've studied for 18 months the, the prophet Isaiah and the word of the coming kingdom of God and his righteousness that will prevail this world. It's real. And Paul would say, so I solemnly charge you, Fellowship Bible Church, the seriousness of a man who is about to enter into glory, the seriousness of his last speech, last words, our lasting words. Why did Paul give that charge? What is on his mind as he pens these final words? Verse 2, preach the word. There are five commands in verse 2, but the overarching command that governs the rest of these commands in verse 2 is that preach the word. And he says, do it being prepared, being ready. That's the next command. Be ready in season and out of season. Always be prepared. Preach the word. And, and reprove or convince or some translations say correct. And, and, and rebuke and exhort. Use the word, Timothy. Open up the scriptures. Preach the word. And be prepared to do it. Be prepared to rebuke. Be prepared to, to reprove. Be prepared to exhort with all patience, with careful instruction. A few verses earlier, you can see this was so much on Paul's mind. A few verses earlier in chapter 3, Paul put it this way. You, however, continue in the things you have learned, verse 14, and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them, 
that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God. as God breathed and is profitable for teaching and reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Preach the Word. If you go back... Uh, Another chapter in this epistle, chapter 2, verse 14, he says, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them, there's that phrase again, in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruination of hearers, but be diligent to present yourself approved unto God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed rightly handling, accurately handling the word of truth. Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word, writes Paul in his final speech. Why? He gives the reason for this charge there in verse 3 of chapter 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I think he's talking about the the flock, the, the church, the people that Timothy was overseeing. They will not endure, they will not persevere in healthy teaching, sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, or some translations, it's a very colorful metaphor, wanting their itchy ears to be tickled. They will accumulate for themselves. They will, the word actually has the idea of stacking upon one another, stacking up layer upon layer, teachers, in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth. They will turn aside to myths. Itchy ears that need to be tickled tickled by, by not enduring sound teaching, healthy, correct, truthful teaching, but they turn away from the truth to that which is not true. Why give such a command? Why, why would you put that as the focal point of your final speech, of your last words, of all the things that Paul could have said to Timothy? of all the words that he could have shared with this young son of the faith, why write this charge and do it so emphatically? I solemnly charge you, preach the word. Because Paul doesn't want Timothy to lose sight of the centrality of God's truth, the authority, the power, the absolute necessity of God's Word. The Apostle Paul valued the Scriptures. He wanted Timothy and he wants us to know that without the Scriptures, we will never thrive. We will not survive in our faith. There are serious consequences when when the Word is devalued. The Word the Scriptures will tell us, and it's kind of in our 
pictures here downstairs at F3. There are a lot of metaphors for the Word throughout Scriptures. It is our food. It is our, our sustenance. It's like water to a thirsty man. It's the light unto our feet. It's a shelter. It's our life. Paul was in great company when he talked about the value of the Word. We read it earlier in the book of uh, Ezra, when Ezra, or the book of Nehemiah, when Ezra gathered, the priest gathered the, the Jewish people who had returned from captivity. He brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it. He read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. They probably had nurseries back then to take the little ones out, but all who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. It was valued. It was valued. Or you think of, of David, Psalm 119, this, this longest of all psalms that focuses on the word your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Over and over and over again, David talks that way about the word. Or the prophets, an example, Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. A hunger for the word. We look throughout of Scripture, you look at the life of Jesus and as he began his ministry and the, the temptation in the wilderness, time and time again, Matthew chapter 4, as Satan comes and tempts him, what was Jesus' defense? It was, it is written. It is written. Thus saith the Lord. There was no hesitation on Jesus' part, like, I'm not sure this is accurate. I'm, I'm not sure this is really um, correct, but I'm going to go with it here. No, it is written, and that's how he combated the evil one. Peter, at the end of his life, the epistles that he wrote, uh, Peter would write similarly. He talked about like newborn babes who long for the pure milk, so we too are to long desire the pure milk of the Word so that we can grow in respect to it. Or the final book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, John writes these words, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, that if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. There was a value on the word. The Apostle Paul was in good company. He knew the importance, he knew the power of the Word, and so he writes in his last speech, preach the Word. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by His appearing, by the judgments of God, by His coming kingdom, preach the Word. Without it, we don't thrive. We can't survive. As one old preacher once said, the Bible that's falling apart probably belongs to someone who's not. 
preach the word. And so the question I think that we need to consider in these weeks as we are going to put a focus on the word, do I value the scriptures like that? Do I value the word like that? Let me give you just real quickly a few reasons why we need to value the Word. First of all, we need to value the Word because it, it causes spiritual life. First Peter chapter 1.23, you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable or perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring Word of God. You have been born again. You've been brought to life by something that was living, by a word that was shared, by truth. And what was that truth? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel, the good news, the word gives us life. Without the word, there's no life. You've been born again, says Peter, by the word. We can live a great example of a Christian life to our neighbors. We can live a great example to our schoolmates and before our family. But living a good example doesn't get anyone into heaven. The Word does, the gospel, the good news, that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope of eternal life. He died. He rose again. And so it's speaking forth that word of truth that brings about life. The word causes spiritual life. The word causes spiritual growth. Again, First Peter, we just looked at that, like newborn babes, long, earnestly desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. That's a command, long for, desire it like a newborn babe. Because without the Word of God, it's impossible for us to grow as believers in Jesus Christ. The writer to the book of Hebrews was dealing with this to the audience he was writing to. Believers in the first century that had come out of Judaism, Hebrew believers, who are now falling back under the, the pressure of, of the world, the persecution of the day, and they were slipping back into old ways and the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 says, you know, by this time you ought to be teachers of the Word. But, but you have need for the elementary principles to be taught all over again. What's happened? You're retrogressing because, you see, if we're not progressing in the Word, we're retrogressing. There's no such thing as a kind of a neutral ground. And it's through the Word of God that we grow spiritually. And we are to desire it like a newborn babe. Thirdly, the Word, according to Romans 12, reveals God's will to us. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformed by the renewing of our minds and the tool of renewal wrote Paul in 2 Timothy, is the Word of God. It gives us life. It produces growth. It gives us direction so you can prove what the will of God is. 
the Bible is God's communication to us. It's his thoughts communicated to us, written down in a book. It reveals his direction for us. The tool of renewal is the Word of God. We've often said here that the, what, a, what a man thinks to be true, thinks about God, thinks about life, what a man thinks to be true determines his whole course of life. Solomon said, what a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the behaviors that we live out are grounded or rooted in the thinking process, what we believe to be true at any given moment. We act out out of a belief system. And we can either be conformed to the world's way of thinking, Paul says in Romans 12, or we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And every one of us needs an trans ongoing transformation of our minds and renewed through the Word of God. So <laughs> Paul writes his final speech, preach the Word, because that's the tool of renewal. We'll never live out a belief system that is contrary. Our, our, our actions will never match something that's contrary to our belief system. It's a package deal. Preach the Word, it gives us direction. Fourthly, the value of the Word is shown in that it arms us against the powers of darkness, the powers of, of Satan. That great passage in Ephesians chapter 6 where he tells us to put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word is necessary for our spiritual protection. The Bible is as necessary for us spiritually as oxygen is for us physically. Preach the Word. The Word of God that is believed and obeyed, that's how we thrive as God's people. Is it any wonder, is it any wonder that at the very beginning of the Scriptures, God's Word is attacked? <laughs> that Satan comes into the garden and says, In, indeed, has God said? The Word of God has been maligned and devalued and demeaned from day one. Don't eat of any tree. You, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but don't eat of that tree in the middle of the garden, Adam, for the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Did, indeed, did God, did he really say? No, he didn't. It smuggles in the assumption that God's word is open to our questioning to our debate, that we humans can pass judgment on what God has communicated to us, that we can ignore it, not trust it, or just categorically deny it. 
it's the age-old battle. Did, did God really say, I don't think so? Look again at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their itchy ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and turn away their ears from the truth. You see the, the contrast here, or the conflicting, where the battle is? One's own desires or the truth. The attack on God's Word, Paul says, is sourced within us. One's own desires, lusts, which seek to entice us and pull us away from embracing the truth of God. What are those inner desires? What are those lusts? Those are those sinful, that, that, those sinful propensities within us from sin that lures us to be autonomous, to, to, do, to be self-sufficient, to live our life separate from God as if we don't need Him. Indeed, did God say, well, if you take of that fruit, you'll be like Him, knowing good and evil. Oh, isn't that desirous? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the hopeful pride of life, the enticements, the inner desires entice us to live independent from God. It's a self-focused, self-indulgent, self-fulfilled, self-protective mindset. I want what I want. It's the deep down yearnings for self-control, for liberation, to be liberated from God and from His truth, to do what I want to do. Beware. Paul says, the time's going to come when the people of God will not endure, persevere in sound truth, but they have these itchy ears. There's something I'm missing. There's something I need. I, I, I will be more fulfilled. I will be more happy. I will be more complete and enticed away. And they will accumulate for themselves teachers because there will be plenty of them who will feed that kind of mindset. They will turn away their ears from the truth. Let's, let's say for sake of example that I'm struggling today with poor health. It's no fun. I've been there before. I've been cut on. It's not fun. Or let's say Maybe because of poor health, I've got now mounting debt and financially. My credit cards are maxed out. It's bothersome. It's worrisome. And I want to be free of that. Deep down, there's that yearning for, I just wish I was healthy. I just wish I was free of that. I just wish I was financially secure. And then I hear a preacher on TV that if I just had real faith, I could be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. And there's teacher upon teacher upon teacher, book upon book upon book that feeds that. 
that entices me to that. And yet God's Word says, all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. Jesus said, in this world there is tribulation. That suffering is what He's called us to. To you it has been granted, Philippians chapter 1, not just to believe, but to suffer for Him. Indeed, did God say, don't you want this? Or maybe today I'm, I'm wrestling with a, maybe a little bit of fear for the future. Um, I look at my retirement portfolio, and it's not as big as I thought it would be at this time of my life. And uh, it's beginning to creep into my mind. I mean, I, I've, I've amassed this nest egg, but I don't know if it's going to be enough. And, and, um, and, and it's mine. I've worked hard for that. And so what's mine is mine, God. What's mine is mine. I have the right to use it as I see fit. And so I rationalize away the idea of, of tithing. I rationalize away the call to, to give to the poor, to give liberally to those less fortunate. And yet, what does God's Word say? First Timothy 6, those that are rich in this present age are to be rich in good works, generous, and ready to share. What does God's Word say? Second Corinthians chapter 8, look at the Macedonians who in their poverty gave above and beyond and trusted the Lord. Generous giving. But I'm enticed away. Indeed, did, did God really say that? Or maybe I'm feeling unhappy or unfulfilled in my marriage. My inner desires are enticing me to leave my, my unlovable spouse, pursue my real soulmate that I've gotten connected with. <laughs> because if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right, right? And so I'm enticed away, and I listen to teachers. Oh, I read the books that give me permission Christian books that speak of redemptive divorce, books upon books upon books, speakers upon speakers upon speakers, and I'm enticed away, and yet God's Word said, live with your wife in an understanding way. He says to the wife, without a word you can win the heart of your husband by your godly behavior. Or maybe I'm struggling with, as some people are today, a same-sex attraction. It's real. Inner longings that end up now seducing me to, to embrace my true identity. This must be the way God made me. And so I give in to those desires. I engage in a lifestyle that is destructive. It's sinful. God's Word is quieted. Indeed, God wouldn't have said that. Maybe I'm struggling at school or at, in my place of employment where in the past I made some 
stands for my evangelical conservative Christian views. And it's not very popular in this day and age. In fact, I'm kind of getting embarrassed. Uh, I'm being ridiculed. I'm being teased. Um, I don't like the idea that I'm being tied to an antiquated old first century writing. You really don't believe that today in this age of modernity. <laughs> That's, you're following that ancient book? And so I'm enticed away to a mindset that says, you know, yeah, that, that, I don't, that, that was probably wrong. They probably wrote that in air, but this, this story sure inspires me, and I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. And, and, you know, Jesus was very inspiring, and, and so I'll, I'll hold on to a few things about Jesus, enticed away. And yet God's Word says all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. All Scripture. Indeed, did God, did God say? You see, the battle for the Bible is really a battle between my inner fleshly desires and God's desires. Between my will and God's will. Between my desire for autonomy, I'll do what I want to do, when I want to do it, I will be self-controlled, and God's sovereignty as the supreme controller of all. Between my rights and His, between my definition of what really is life and God's definition of really constitutes life. The battle for the Bible it's as old as the Garden of Eden. And so he said, hey, Mark, are you really saying that God's Word, the Bible, is actually true in all, in all that it says, that it conveys accurately the authority, the, the, the heart of God in all matters written? Yep. That's what we're saying. That's what we're saying. And so throughout the next several weeks, we're going to be putting an emphasis on this value of God's Word that hopefully will remind us maybe, and maybe for the first time for some of us, cause us to say, look with new eyes at, at the Scriptures, at the Scriptures. Um, we have a, a few simple steps that we want you to engage in um, over these next few weeks, like coming every week, if you can, over the next six, seven weeks as we put an emphasis on this sermon series on Thrive. John Morrison will be here next week to talk about the authority of the Scriptures. Is it really authoritative? I th- isn't the Bible just, didn't, uh, just a group of human beings write down some things as they were kind of inspired? And, and um, yeah, they made mistakes and stuff as human beings do. And, and somehow it got collected. We're, we'll, we'll be talking about canonicity at some point. How did this all get transmitted to, to this book that we have today? We'll talk about that in these weeks to come. So that's the first thing. Second thing, second step is just to sign up for the Thrive events that we're going to be having. So, for instance, ladies, tonight um, at 6.30, not 6, at 6.30 tonight right here at Fellowship um, is the Interweave um, event, and it's an opportunity for you to get connected and ultimately um, 
connected or directed into God, God's word-focused discipleship opportunities. So come tonight for Interweave. And, and then in a couple of weeks, uh, September uh, 19th and 20th, is uh, uh, a brief little c- uh, conference, a seminar with a man by the name of Keith Farron. He's going to be here on a Friday night and a Saturday morning. Um, it's, um, it's, it's meant for everyone, but I want to encourage especially you parents to come because he's going to give some wonderful, and grandparents that in, it can impact your kids, your grandkids. He's going to challenge us and give us some wonderful direction and some practical tools on how, to, how, how we can teach our children to love God's Word and value it. Later in October, uh, and we'll talk more about this, is going to be our global church week where we have uh, missionaries from around the world will be here again at FBC, and we're going to have uh, more to talk about that. Ladies, Tuesday, Women in the Word begins. You're going to be studying the book of Mark. It's God's Word. And um, if you're able to, on a Tuesday night or a Tuesday morning, come. So, so step one, keep coming each week. Step two, go to our, um, our webpage, fbcva.life, and sign up for these events. But here's a third step to take advantage of. And that is just go back to our home center, and there are resources that we're going to make available throughout these weeks uh, that are going to assist you into getting into God's Word. So, for instance, there's a little brochure out there called Thrive, God's Word for Life. And uh, this talks about um, 511 Challenge, the 511 Challenge. It'll be a great tool for you at home, moms and dads, parents, about five days of being in the Word for yourself. And then pick one day where you and your spouse can get in the Word together, and then one day where you and your children can get together. If you're single, five days where you can get in the Word yourself, a day that you and maybe a roommate can get some time in the Word, and then find a friend another day where you can get into the Word together. 511, so pick them up at your, um, out at the, at the home center. One other thing that's also out there, and I believe it's in your program today, together as a body of believers here at Fellowship, we're going to memorize Psalm 119 verses 9 through 16. So you got this little brochure, pull it out. It's right here. It should be in your program. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. You see that there? So if you can kind of clean out the cobwebs in your brain, uh, let's, over the next number of weeks, let's, let's, let's memorize this and we'll help you throughout these weeks in doing that. In fact, why don't we right now, why don't we just read through this? Just join with me, and we'll read through Psalm 119, right? 9 through 16. Okay, let's do it together. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told you all of the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts 
and regard your ways. And I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. And that little word at the end, Gimel, it's a misprint. If you go to Psalm 119, each stanza of the Psalm 119 begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first stanza, Aleph. The second stanza, Aleph, Beit. The third stanza is Gimel. That's the, our letter C. So anyway, we've got, we're doing Beit. Aleph, Beit, the second stanza, 9 through 16. So take this home, keep it in your Bibles, and, um, and we'll practice that and we'll work on that together. Why? Because God's Word's important. It's the only way we can thrive. It's a disruptive power. It's a life-giving power. We need it. A couple weeks ago, I was sharing at a, at a funeral service for a, a dear brother who attended here for uh, a number of years. And suddenly and unexpectedly, uh, he took ill, and um, he went home to glory. He, he knew Jesus. He was a believer. And I had the privilege to, to, to share at that service uh, and to open up this book and reassure that family and tell those friends that were there <laughs> that Brother Gary is, folks, he's more alive today than he ever was here on earth. He's, he's alive because Jesus died for his sins and rose again. And according to this word, and Sherry's wife asked specifically for John 5, 24 to be shared, that he who hears these words and believes him who sent me has everlasting life and does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. It's right here in this book. And with confidence, I could get up and share that truth and do it without hesitating. Because this word is true. And by the way, if it wasn't true, if it's not true some remote place back here, like, I don't know if that's true, but it's probably that was a mistake, then who's to say John 5.24 isn't wrong? Who am I to say that this part is true? Oh, but that one, I don't like that part. Preach the word, Paul says to Timothy. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all patience, with, with sound instruction. Because there are days that are coming when the itchy ears of, of folks that are, are going to, they want them tickled and they're going to accumulate speakers and teachers accordance to those inner desires that are enticing them away from truth. Because Satan is alive and he's saying, indeed, did, did God say? I can't believe God would say that. And they lead us astray from truth to myths. God help us to uphold and reverence his word. Let's pray. Father, grant us that grace to be in your word, to seek to understand it, to rightly handle it, to interpret it properly. We are subject to error, there's no question, but this book is not. Help our thinking to be in line with it, but it starts, Father, I, I know that, it starts with this, 
confidence, as value like the Apostle Paul had, like Jesus had, that he could boldly say, thus saith the Lord, it is written, and not question whether or not it is. As we go through these weeks, Father, encourage us in our love and passion for you as you have revealed yourself in this book. In Christ's name I pray, amen.